Hey, welcome in. It's the Unanchored Boston Podcast. Bob Lobel, Mike Lynch, and Hank Morse. A lot to talk about. We should tell you, of course, we're brought to you by our fine sponsors, Our Best Foods and Our Best Burgers, and Cold Springs RV. Where? Yes, where New Hampshire, W-E-A-R-E, New Hampshire, coldspringsrv.com. Hi, boys. Hi, everybody. Hi, there. How you guys doing? It's an exciting Didn't time of year, isn't it? Did you see four straight coming? No. Who saw that coming? Maybe the other way. You know, uh, four straight. Hard to believe that that actually happened. You know, but once you see those two teams, you can see why, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's five against. It's actually eight against two every every time they played. You know, right. it's just Durant would throw going to throw up a hundred shots. Uh, Irving, I think Irving quit after game three. Uh, he just sort of I think he quit after in. he gave the finger to the pe- to the people of Boston. After that, he was never the same. But you know what? Here, what? What's with the Ramadan thing? It was saying that he, you know, wasn't eating. Had, had to wait till sunset to eat, and it had everything to do with his performance. I mean, I saw so many excuses as to why he wasn't the Kyrie Irving we've all come to know and love. It was a little bit of everything. Yeah, he's he's a he's he's radioactive. Um, I don't know who the hell wants him, uh, other than he can he can hit you light you up for thirty five anytime he pretty much wants to. Um, you know, he's got a my, an old coach once who had a great expression: "He who is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else." And uh, he's got a bunch of them all the time. And I mean, he's got rabbit ears. I mean, this. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have been really ridden hard by Boston fans over the years. I mean, Daryl Strawberry, remember in the World Series? Daryl, Daryl. Hard Rock Cafe in New York. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mickey Rivers. I'll never there forget that night. Jack Williams, that was the greatest. What a story that was. Well, let's let's hear it. Let it, let, well, let it I know. Play. We were coming in after game six. We are all driving into New York after game six. The Buckner game. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, don't you hate to have to refer to it as the Buckner game? But that's kind of gives everybody a location. Yeah. You know, right. It is location. what it is. Location, year, everything else. Oh, well, we're driving in. We decided, okay, let's go to the Hard Rock. So after the game, uh, I, anyway, the reality was, you know, we're arguing, well, did Stanley throw a wild pitch? Or was it a pass ball for Gedman? And then, you know, all, everything else that happened in that game. Get to the Hard Rock and, uh, you know, being the jerk that I am, started chanting Daryl, Daryl, and I <laughs> at the bar with Jack Williams and a couple of other BZ people. And the bartender said, stop that, because if you don't stop that, you'll have to leave. And I said, you know, I understand. I'm not here to cause trouble. I just, I'm just here after the game. So then about 10 minutes later, five minutes later, the bartender's gone. There's, no, there's nobody behind the bar, right? But we're sitting at that. And I started chanting Daryl again, like an idiot that I was, just pushing the envelope as far as I could possibly push it. And the guy was down below filling the kegs underneath the bar, but he was right there. <laughs> so he came up and said, you're out, out, you're out, you Take your friends and leave. Jack Williams had this little drink in his hand. 
turned it over side on the bar and it was just it was a show <laughs> it's probably because you didn't have liz walker with you to control you she was somewhere around i don't know when she was not with us she would have rescued you but anyway there it is. Just, that was daryl mike you brought it up those they were on strawberry pretty good the chanting but it was you don't know i don't think the chanting was as vicious then as it is now i think now it's it's personal now it's and certainly if you're on the court you're right next to people that can just talk to you yeah. you know they yeah. can say really because you know people in a crowd become empowered by yeah. stupidity people in a crowd lose their i their iq by 25 30 points just by being in a crowd Look at what happened at the Yankees Cleveland game the other day. Yeah, Meatball awesome. of the week, by the way. Meatball candidate of the week. Boy, Yankee fans. Yeah, yeah. No question. Oh, Awful. That guy had a lot of guts too. Almost climbing the fence to go up and go, "Hey, you want a piece of me?" Look, the, the Yankee my... players came out to defend the Indian players. Yeah, they or, did. I'm sorry, the Guardians. Yeah. It was the final play of the game, right? It was a walk off. The Yankees won. And the Yankees won. Yeah. So the Yankees could be. You know, after they were, you know, hugging the guy that got the hit and drove in the run, you know, could be going off the field. So that was that was a nice move by by the Yankees. But why are fans more mean? Why are fans meaner uh, today than they were? I mean, I, you know, I think we live in such an impersonal world. Like with with these things, you can just say whatever you want about anybody on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and there's no accountability and there's no i mean in in the in, in the old days you had to walk up to somebody's face and you know flash the bird right in their in their face and you might get you know grabbed by them and you might get pushed and shoved this is just you can do it from such a long distance that you feel there's no consequences and you know a, a plate of glass in hockey separates you know there's all these morons that are going up against you know guys some of the toughest guys in the league if that quarter inch of plexiglass wasn't there it'd be a different story Saving you know, their football. lives. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's separation in all sports except for basketball. As you mentioned, Bob, they're right there. I mean, they're, they're some of the people in the front row got to move their knees and ankles aside so the player can have a spot to throw the ball in. And they're close. You can hear everything that's going on. Um, baseball, sort of, you know, if you're in the on-deck circle. But if you're sitting at shortstop or second base, you know, in most ballparks, you can't really hear everything because it's organs going and noisemakers and everything else. But I, I don't know why people feel they have this courage to do that, this license to Mike, do it. Mike, when you're in a crowd, you really become empowered. I, yeah. don't, I don't know care what it is. Even if you're like you're three rows back in basketball, you're three rows back, but but it can be almost a one-on-one -on -one experience. You can almost talk to Kyrie Irving or whoever it is. You can almost say, you really suck. Yeah. You know, you're one of the worst players, but or, or much worse, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine what they say. But you think the people around them would have some control or would be able to exercise some control over the really jerk people, you know? If the person's 5'8", 120 pounds, but if the guy's 6'2", 210 pounds... And, you know, you're sitting there at, at uh, whatever age you are. I mean, you know, you tell him to shut up and sit down. You know, you might be in trouble. And you might be not, you might be not very popular. With, you know, I mean, we all have done stupid things in groups to try to be the, 
you know, the class clown. Uh, I can one up you and your funny joke. I can one up you and your insult. And we've all been around that crowd that because you're right, it's it's a feeling of empowerment when you're in a crowd. Hey, <laughs> oh, my God, he just said that. Oh, isn't that funny? Bah, 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 bah. So you're right. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, Did you see the Timberwolves Grizzlies game where the woman who was protesting she was pro. She was a protester, and she had thrown some flyers around in the arena. Um, and she's part of a group called Direct Action Everywhere. And she was um, she was upset with the Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor over his some of the companies owned by his parent company, and for alleged animal cruelty. She bolted onto the court the other night. I saw that. Was that the she was a kind of a frail, short woman that, and then a security guard just. He was watching her. Did you see the video where yeah. he was watching her? It yeah. was like the Secret he had Service. His eyes on her. They knew she was going to do this. Yeah, I mean, it was scary stuff. I mean, was it Martina? I can't remember if it was Martina Hingis. Who was the who was the player, the tennis player that got stabbed on the court that time? Probably ten or fifteen years ago. Oh yeah, that was um. Uh, I do remember. It came right down on the bench and stabbed her yeah. while be- between games. It, it reminded me. Thank God that I mean, it reminded me of the Secret Service and the President. But here you are at a basketball. It's stunning to me that he was watching her the way he was watching her. They had her pegged. They knew she was going to do something. And when she jumped over the f- fans in front of her, he was on top of her. Right. That guy can probably work wherever he wants right now. And it was, was great work. But you think about you're relying on people's sanity when they get that close to the action. I wonder if there's going to be a time when the uh, the NBA says, hey, we're going to have to put a perimeter up. You, you know, know um, I don't I, I know I brought this up to you, Bob, but in the uh, in the World Series out in Col- out in Denver, when the uh, Red Sox played the Rockies and, and, and we all sat in this unbelievable place. It was almost like a picnic area. In, in right field it was it was ground level and um and above us were the were, were the stands and we had this picnic area we had our own little uh, refreshment stand for soda and you know popcorn and hot dogs or whatever we wanted but we were pretty close to the right field line and no the right field line is sort of like you know it has a wall maybe four feet and there was this woman there and she started you know, lifting up her shirt, lifting up her shirt. And then, you know, her, her boyfriend kept, kept grabbing her by the arm. Stop it. Stop it. Knock it off. And you could tell as the innings went on and the more she drank, the braver she got. And we all saying, well, keep an eye, watch her. Keep an eye, watch her, watch her. And I don't know how you missed this. And all of a sudden, she just whipped her top off and jumped, on the, jumped, on, jumped onto the field right in front of us. And ran, you know, ran towards the right fielder. And, you know, she was tackled and brought out of there. But we could see this thing. I felt like that security guard the other night because we could see this brewing and percolating for two or three innings. <laughs> <laughs> I said, she's going to take her top off. You so know, why don't you help out a friend, a colleague? <laughs> why don't you give me an elbow and say, hey, Bob, look at this. Well, Lynch, you just no texted the video. Where's, where's my friend Mike? You know, you really... know what's funny about that? When you're at a ball game, not just Fenway, and somebody runs onto the field, and, you know, they've got a jump start. And so they've got some room out there. And then security starts to chase them. It never <laughs> ends up well for the perpetrator because they get slammed. Oh, it's yeah. As if they're just like, okay, this is our Patriot Sunday and I'm playing linebacker and look out. It all kind of started with the kissing bandit. Whatever, whatever was her name? Morgana. Well, yeah. Morgana. Right. How could yeah. I forget? No one ever tackled her. Yeah. No. She always made it out into the field cleanly. She, and she yeah, and always made it back. 
She always yeah. made it back, and she got an ovation, and everyone knew what her act was. She wasn't out there to hurt anyone. She was just out there to give someone a kiss. And she'd go after Nolan Ryan. She went, she went after big, big, big time, big game. She was a big game hunter. She was, Nolan Ryan. Oh, she right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A baseball safari is what it was like. That's very funny. But I mean, we we talk about meatballs. How about the Nets organization? You know, with everything that went on with with Harden and Ben Simmons and Kyrie and None of it was really about basketball. It was all about this extraneous stuff. And I saw something today that asked, reflecting on the Nets and the Lakers, is the era of the super team over? Like the players basically, you know, calling their own shots and putting their own teams together almost. No, they'll do that again. They'll come around again. They'll all get together at, you know, some summer festival and, figure out that they want to play together. You know, that's like slow pitch softball kind of, you know, get your team together and recruit. It'll happen. Meanwhile, everybody will be trying to get Ben Simmons, a great player that he is. What a... <laughs> I, I did a thing years ago with channel five when uh, um, we had the Celtics are playing the Sixers and, you know, it's been a long time since, you know, the rivalry was going on and, and so I did, um, I did a, you know, who they have and we have. They've got Dr. J. We've got thousands of hospitals with great doctors here in Massachusetts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good, good they've got the Liberty Bell. We've got Upton Bell. Um, uh, they've got Ben Franklin and Ben Ben Simmons. But we had a news anchor named Ben Simino. Said, "Well, we got Ben Simino." <laughs> It was all Amazing. the pluses and the minuses on each side. That's I can't remember one. the other two I did. No, that's good. It was kind of a ripoff of what Shaughnessy used to do that. Remember when every time, you know, L.A. versus Boston, Chicago versus Boston, you know, who you got, we've got this, they've got that. Um, I, I hope the Celts and Sixers, uh, let's see, they're on the other side of the bracket, so we'd have to play them in the conference finals, right? You play Milwaukee next, right? Milwaukee, Basically, yes. Milwaukee beats Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, that won't be that won't be easy, but I love their chances. Uh, I love them a lot better than I did, uh, you know, the last time they played a couple of years ago. This well, is that, no one's hurt, so what, why why is this team? Um, what? And by the by the way, before we go any further, how about uh, how about props for Danny Ainge? I mean, this is Danny Ainge's team, right? No, I you agree. Know? This is Danny I mean, Ainge's he team. Tatum and uh, Brown. Second picks or something yeah. in the drafts, or yeah, and they and they shoved that pick for the uh, the kid, the, the guard that the Philly picked. That I don't think ever played a game. Um, he was the number one draft, uh, number one draft pick overall. They got Tatum, they got Brown, oh, Markel Fultz. That's what it was, Fultz, yeah. And you know, Robert Williams and Grant Williams. It just Grant Williams, every 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 championship team has has a Grant Williams on them. You know, I can go all the way back to like a Satch Sanders or a Don Nelson. Or something, just a guy that just all he cares about is winning. He'll do anything you ask him to. He'll guard the toughest guy. He'll grab rebounds. He'll leave skin on the floor. Uh, he'll play 48 minutes if you need him. And, uh, you know, he's one of those. I mean, you know, the wow factors are smart Tatum and Brown. But the guys that never show up in the stat sheet that make a difference in these games, the difference makers are guys like Grant Williams. 
And think about this. Robert Williams III was really only a minor part of this, right? I mean, the exceptional swarming defense and, you know, perhaps one of your top two defensive players, you know, minor contribution. So going forward, it makes that exciting. And you know what I'm excited about the Bucs? We get to see Pat Connaughton from Arlington, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Just over the hill from me and uh, St. John's prep guy, very, very loyal to St. John's prep, an unbelievable athlete um, who, Played at Notre Dame, was in the Orioles organization, and decided to play uh, bas- pro basketball. Yeah, throws He's got about a 95, right, lefty? Yeah. Awesome. Would that be your choice? Okay, if you had a choice, if you were like, not that you're not an unbelievable athlete, but let's say you were more of an unbelievable athlete. <laughs> and you could play pro football, pro baseball, or, or pro basketball. What's your? Which would you pick? You know, um, the funny story, I'll, gi- I'll give you an answer from a guy who's a Hall of Famer. On on a, a Bloomberg Business of Sports, we had Ken Griffey Jr. on. And we were asking him why there's only 8% African-Americans on Major League rosters this year. What's going on with the young black athlete? Why aren't they playing baseball? And he <laughs> said the, diff- the answer is simple. Um, you play one year in college basketball, you can go right to the NBA. You play three years in college or all four years in football, you go right to the National Football League. Baseball, you get drafted. You know, you're living with three guys in a Motel 8, you know, riding a bus. And you could be riding that bus for three, four years before you make it to the show. And it's just, you know, we live in a world of instant gratification. We want answers, you know, like – uh like you just had Mark, Mark Markel Fultz. Uh, you might have it at the top of your head, but you could look it up, Hank, in eight seconds, right? Yeah, and no so question. We want uh, instant. Um, even in the National Hockey League, these guys, uh, they might have to play major junior for a little while, but most of these guys that play, you know, Division One hockey, they go right to the National Hockey League. Yeah. So that's the, the difference the, organizationally with baseball. Baseball doesn't have that nearly as much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As but, but you know, you know riding, riding the buses, eating at the Waffle House, uh, eating at McDonald's, uh, and these guys, you know what the, the salary is, is like $18,000 a year. If you're not sure you're a big bonus baby. Yeah. So, all right. The, so my question is, what would I rather play basketball, football, or baseball, Bob? Is that right? Yeah. Or you can add hockey. Could, yeah. I guess of all the major sports, you can even throw soccer in there if you want. But I guess the question is, you know, I might, I might choose football. Um, because you, you know you travel, you only have eight road games, and you leave on a Saturday night, and you're back on Sunday. You know, baseball, you pack your bag. Like the Red Sox have gone on what three city tour, and I don't know. It's just uh, the the you have less chance of being injured in, in in probably baseball than all the other ones. I thought you'd choose baseball simply because there are more opportunities, and football. On every play, you can get concussed, really. Yeah. And baseball's got more opportunity because of the size of the teams, right? Yeah. And they they better they better pay. Yeah, but the point that Mike made was that getting there is a, is a whole different yeah, right. structure. Yeah. yeah. And there's no guarantee you're going to get there. I mean, at least in football, you get there and you get cut. In basketball, you get there, you get cut. You may bounce around. Someone may pick you up off the waiver wire. But... You know, I mean, look at Michael Jordan went down to to uh, minor league when he left basketball. I mean, he played in Birmingham. You know, rode the buses for Frank uh, Kona. At, 
Yeah, with Terry Francona, yeah. Yeah, the Birmingham Barons, I think they were. But that was, you know, that that's that's a whole different uh well, baseball as a sport has a lot of problems now because there are many communities, including my own, that struggled to field a JV baseball team. They had to call some eighth graders up. Now, granted, I sound like my father and my grandfather. So I get out in 1984. We had 76 kids try out for our freshman baseball team when I was a freshman in 1981. You know, 38 years later, they're having a difficult team, difficult time finding players to just play JV. The whole game is suffering. Lacrosse. Yeah. Lacrosse is really See, taking a big, football. big chunk out of uh taking a big chunk out of, out of out of baseball. Baseball's too slow and God, I used to umpire high school games and you know, by the by the third inning, the strike zone went from what it should have been to like anything between the eyebrows and the toenails. Yeah. <laughs> it's the winds whipping. Yeah, <laughs> it's because like, it's cold and there's a lot of standing around. There is. There is. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How about you, Bob? Baseball. I would have picked baseball. You would have, yeah. I just, uh, I like playing it better than anything else. That's all. Yeah, I, I really love playing. The, I love playing. The one sport I didn't play in college was probably my favorite was basketball. Um, I just, I, I really loved it. But baseball, I loved it too. But it was cold. Especially yeah, I mean, playing right off the, uh, right off the Charles River there. Yeah, that was not that was not fun. We had wooden uh, 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 metal bats came in my senior year. We had wooden bats, so the vibration would go right uh, your top wrist, your right hand wrist, right up your arm to your chest if you hit the ball the wrong way. Remember that? Oh, the nerve! Oh, I don't know how that happened, but, but it it was, and it wouldn't go away. You know, you'd get down to first base, and it's like someone was sticking knives into your chest. The other thing that's kind of funny, you talk about baseball, is that. Almost like uh, rolling hockey bags or rolling bags. What took them so long to realize, like, okay, let's give kids better protection, whether it's the ear flap or the protection on your arms or your legs, your inner shin, your instep, right? I mean, it wasn't like those things were uh, were novel. I mean, it could have easily be done, but it took so long for it to be integrated into the game. It was almost look as it was would have been called like a kind of a wimpy look back then. Yeah, you're going to get hit by the pitch sometimes. Well, the ear flap came in after Tony Seagut hit in 1967. Uh, that came in shortly thereafter. It used to just be like a regular hat. Like if you look at the base coaches in Major League Baseball, they, they have to wear uh, helmets now, but they don't have any flaps on them. They, it just looks like a regular hat. And that's how regular helmets were until Tony Seagut hit. Yeah. And then after uh, Giancarlo Stanton got hit in the jaw, in, um, and the other kid uh, that played for Atlanta, the right fielder, uh, might be Andrew Jones, um, they put the, uh, the, the jaw band on that goes all, all the way out to here. Those of you who don't have, we're sort of describing helmets. Those of you that are listening to this and, and not watching. Um, but, uh, yeah, Tony, thank Tony C. Uh, Jack Hamilton with through the pitch, August 18th, 1967. Talking all this baseball, you know what I feel like right now? I feel like a barbecue, a nice oh, Sunday yeah. afternoon barbecue. Yeah, I know. Have your pals over, whether your family, your kids, your grandparents, nieces, nephews, your buddies that you went played Little League with. Oh, our best foods and our best burgers. It's time. It's barbecue season time, folks. So it's time to get down to your burgers, but I can't kick it. I can't keep kick the meatball habit. <laughs> well, you know what the nice thing is that they're both perfect 365 days out of the year. Our best burgers, 
now available in Shaw's, just like our best meatballs, and you just look down the aisle and you see that little smiling guy up on the package. Right here. There he is, Pablo Bell. He's thrilled for summer. He's thrilled for spring. And they're going to carry you. And the nice thing is... You could, there's actually a, um, a 20 pack of those hamburgers as well. Lynchy's really, he's got the whole thing. Well, see, you live in Winchester. See, I, I never got the, the 40 pack. Or what, what is that, the 20 pack? You got to have 20 friends, though. Order a 20 oh, pack. No, no, but you can freeze them. So oh. they're half frozen. So you just take the ones you want out. But this is a 20 pack here. If you have like a big, big get together, you know, maybe the Kentucky Derby of people over or something like that. And then yes. the next get together because I'll be looking for the invitation in the mail. <laughs> we'll have hamburgers and meatballs for you. And by the way, just go to ourbestfoods.com, download the coupon. We'll save you some dough too. And we want to thank them for our spon- for their sponsorship of Unanchored Boston, which by the way, please go to our new social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've got a new website, unanchoredboston.com. You want to have, Mike or Bob and myself come to your local event. You want us to come speak. If you'd like to have us at your business and do um, do the podcast there, you can get in touch on anchorboston.com. You know, you mentioned Danny Ainge, but Brad Stevens did a pretty good job of bringing Tice back and some of those other guys, Horford back. Horford, yeah. Hired the coach. Yeah, he did. You're absolutely right. I mean, between the two of them, you know, Ainge did his job, left when it was time Stevens left when it was time to, you know, and he he brought in somebody who was actually a better coach than he was, and he did a, a good job of, of filling in the holes on that team. They did. I would They're- be interested to know if the Celtics, I'm sure they have one, a team psychologist, and what went on in January where it seemed like, hey, can we ever win with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And what about Marcus Smart? Is he long for this team? And all of a sudden, from January on, it was they became the best teammates they could be. You know, it happens. Uh, it, it could be just, you know, just a, a adjustment period with a new coach. You know, just getting to know the guy. Um, takes a while. You know, it's it's different. And uh, they, then they, they just finally, you know... <laughs> Stop being, I want to say, I guess I'll say it's selfish. Some of those players, I, I thought Tatum and sometimes Brown, remember like maybe two years ago, they used to complain about touches. And that, that was a big word, a big catchphrase in the NBA, touches. And now I don't think anybody cares who has the ball and who scores the basket. And not, there was no greater example of that than uh, in game one, the final possession with 12 seconds to go, all five guys touched the ball on the way up the floor. And Smart came up. He drew two guys up when he went with, with the head fake. And instead of taking the shot, he dished off to Tatum, who caught Kyrie Irving snoozing and flat-footed and won the game. To me, that was a snapshot of what this team has become and why, they, Hank, as you said, they are so great down the stretch when they were 28-7, and seven, the last 35 games of the regular season. There was a lot of talk about unwilling un- or unable to bring out the best – in everybody else. In other words, make them better players by your being there. It was something like going back to Bird. Bird always made everybody better around him. And nobody on this team apparently was willing to do that until the light went somehow the light went on 
in in January, basically, as Hank said. And they became better players because the people around them became better. It is like a throwback. Let's face it. It's like a throwback Celtics team where it was always about team first. Yeah. The way they move the ball, but the tenacity on it's been so much fun to watch. For instance, I'm going to be 56 years old. It brought back those teams from the eighties where it was just like next man up. Yeah. All right. And I agree. Let's dig in. If you're a defensive player, play your best defense because that's just important. At the end of the game is the guy who's scoring 25. Do, do you agree that they were uh, it, it parts of this season, like in December and early January and, as the calendar kept turning, that they were basically almost unwatchable? Unwatchable. They're not basically unwatchable. They were unwatchable. And more and more people made that statement, Mike. More and more people made that complaint. You'd, excuse me. You'd end up talking to people in the street and say, I have no interest in watching them. I have yeah. no interest in watching the NBA this year. Well, that kind of all turned around here with this team. They were uh, unwatchable and unlikable. Yeah. Maybe it's the playoffs. Maybe it's the fact that the games actually mean something and the teams had to step up. I don't know. But you're I mean, right. The they were like 60-1 to one to win a, the NBA title. They're now 5-1. to one. That's what, how, was the first, what was the first one? 60-6-0. Oh. Wow. Wow. Plus, we had the added element, the whole Kyrie thing added to the great drama. Great. I loved it. And, it, you know, it got diffused really early. I mean, even if he came back for game number five, you know, the, the thing would not, the focus would not have been on booing Kyrie. It would have been, you know, just blow these guys out, out of the garden. Um, and uh, I, I love it. I love when there's a villain. And next round, we got the Bucks. It's not really on the, anybody you really detest on that team, but somebody might emerge. Somebody will make a cheap foul. And, so let's, uh, have, here's a, let's go back. Just go back to something that you brought up earlier. Fan behavior. When Lambeer was about his uh, enemy number public, one, yeah, yeah, public enemy number one when he came yeah. here. Most people would have loved him if he'd have played for the Celtics. Yeah. But they hated him because he played for the Pistons. Yeah. And he was that kind of guy. So Lambeer, they can't, they couldn't have, they could have booed him. That's one thing. But I think that they treated Kyrie Irving much worse than they would treat Lambeer. I mean, in terms of fan behavior. Well, I mean, Lambeer was just a cheap shot artist. He he mugged Larry Bird at the Silver Dome once. Larry fired the ball at him, got, got ejected, <laughs> right, right, right. which was tremendous. Uh, but Kyrie, he basically almost defecated on Celtic fans. When he walked over and wiped his feet on the leprechaun, he was doing that to every single person that's ever been associated with the organization or has watched and bought a ticket or been a Celtic fan. And to me, that is, is more heinous than anything Lane Beer ever did. You know, I, I just wanted to go back a little bit. Kyrie, I was reading on ESPN this morning, and he's talking about, hey, we got great talent here. You know, we'll use this as motivation. We had so many different things that happened this year. But they say, quote, when I say I'm here with Kev, I think that really entails us managing this franchise together alongside Joe, the owner, Cy, and general manager, Sean. Just our group of family members in our locker room and in our organization. So it's not just about me and Kev. I don't want to make it just about that. We're cornerstones, but we have a few other guys on contract. About Kev and I managing this team. Oh, along with the owner and the general manager. I mean, that and never works Steve out Nash? well. Steve Nash. That poor guy. 
Yeah. Right. But to think that Kyrie puts himself in a management position, really, unless they really have empowered him to do that. It's hard to know. You know, it's hard to believe that it's playoff season and two franchises are not in the playoffs. The Lakers and the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. It's hard to believe. And Which the Montreal brings... Canadiens went to the finals last year. <laughs> Which brings me to the tribute to Gila Fleur. Did you happen to tune in at like seven? I, I, I recorded the both pregame shows on Nesson and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life is that those fans would not let that game start. They just kept cheering and cheering and cheering. And then they'd go into ole, 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 ole. And every image, they took all the advertising off the boards and they just had uh, Guy Lafleur, 1951, 2022, images of him on the ice, which was really clever. Um, and one spotlight on his number 10 jersey that was retired. And I would say 80% of the people were wearing Canadian jerseys up up, up in, in the arena. And uh, that guy that go, everybody's uh, speaking French. And they're going, ah, and they went louder. They drowned him out. They, he was trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, let's, you know. And then they played a tribute, a video tribute, finally, with Sinatra's My Way. And uh, and then the, the thing just went crazy again. And all his teammates are behind. It's uh, Yvonne Cornwaya and Chris Nyland and Ganey. Uh, Yvonne Lambert, and it was, and then I, we find out later he's going to lie in state at the Bell Center for two days and have a state funeral as if he were the Prime Minister of Quebec or the Prime Minister of Canada. I mean, this is how revered this guy is. And I, I was just, I was just blown away. And, you know, I put it on Twitter and someone said, well, obviously, you never saw the Bobby Orr ceremony, Mike. And I said, well, I never heard of the guy. And uh, But uh, answer. this this was up there. This was up there. And, you know, he he broke our hearts so many times. I mean, none more so than that tying goal with the two men in, men in the ice game. I mean, that pill that he let go inside the blue line, I still haven't seen it. I've seen Jill Gilbert going back and just, you know, it, I think the wind – the draft of the puck knocked Gilles Gilbert over. <laughs> he was trying, trying to get it. Because and the amazing thing, 5'10", 170 pounds, right? Yeah, yeah. And the hair always flowing. You know, he, so he great players. I mean, come on, Beliveau. He had so many great players. He had great players around him, but he was he – was, now listen to this. So six straight years, 50 or more goals, as well as 100 or more points. Six straight years. They won the Cup four – Four during four of those six years there, and they won another cup um, as well. And you know, I knew that that's, that the Bruins had a tough time winning a series against the Canadians, and winning in Montreal was almost impossible. And I thought it was like the late sixties. It went from nineteen forty three to nineteen eighty eight. The Bruins never beat the Canadians in a series. Well, a lot of people don't. I shouldn't say that. It just seems that people tend to forget that Montreal had, at that point, the league rules were territorial advantage. Territorial, they could draft people. Uh, the league rules were that you could draft people in your geographical area. And therefore, in in Montreal and, and around Quebec, you know, they would, 
the hockey hotbed. I mean, that was really where the game was flourishing. And these great players all came from around there. And it was a territorial draft that enabled Montreal to load up on those players. And that's how they became the franchise they were until they changed the rules about the draft. I'll never forget the first time I went to a Bruins-Canadians game at the Forum. I think it was in 1991. It was actually the game, remember the game Bobby Carpenter shattered his kneecap against the Canadians. I was at that game, and it was a, like a home-and-home. Home. The Bruins had uh, beat them like 6-1, to one, and then the Canadians when they had the Bruins in Montreal beat the Bruins like seven to one. I mean, complete reversal of fortune, but I'll never forget looking and watching the fans. It's like, it's a night out. It's almost like an evening at the opera because the men are dressed in suits. Yes. The women in fur coats. Yes. It's, it's an evening out. It's a high class event. The other thing is every Saturday night in Canada, hockey night in Canada, I mean, that was uh, almost like a religious service in sports. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it, it was an experience to be cherished. Um, I only was up there a couple of times. It was always a playoff game, so everything was even amped up more than just a regular season game in the middle of January. But you're 100 percent right. It was date night when when you went up there. And Hank, look up 1988 and see where the Bruins uh, finally clinched uh the uh the series i want to say it was in montreal because it's a it's a it's a pretty funny story um i know they won a game there they might have clinched it back in boston but i think they clinched it in montreal the death of the jinx damn it so I don't know if you remember. Did you ever go up there? Anumi went most of the time, didn't he, Bob? Up to yeah, uh... he did. <laughs> and, and we used to fly with the Bruins. Yes. On their plane, and they'd send a bill like one hundred and fifty dollars round trip, and it was just great. You just showed up and get on the plane with the team, and get on the bus with the team, cover the team, get on the bus with the team. I remember, Anumi slept through a live shot. <laughs> so did my cameraman, Alan Anderson. He slept through the whole game. Really, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I went to take a nap in his hotel room, and the guy never woke him up. And I called in for a wake-up call, and the guy never called. And just, but he made it. He, he came at. He was there at the end of the live shot, but not at the beginning. Just a picture of the empty ice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we should have traded that day because I was awake and my cameraman was asleep. It was uh, 19, yes, right. It was nineteen eighty-five. At the at the the uh the first round was three out of five, and match it was game five. What do we what do you got, Hank, for eighty eight? Yeah, it was uh it was game five was in Montreal, and that's and, the game uh, they won. They it was a relatively um, this article says hey the game was a cakewalk for the Bruins. You know Steve Casper had two goals, Neely had two goals, Reggie Lemelin had twenty eight saves. Yeah, it said the French monkey was finally off the back of the Boston Bruins, and Gordy Kluzak is saying. I remember coming back to the airport after winning game five in Montreal. There were thousands of people at the airport and it had been a tremendous relief to finally beat the Canadians breaking the jinx as it used to be called at the Montreal forum. It sort of meant a lot to long-term fans meant a lot to us as players to get that sort of nemesis off our back. So that night now, whenever you, I'll get, well, I'll get back to my 1985, the newbie story. So I'll tell you that one, then go to 88. So in 80, uh, 85, 
um, it's a nothing, nothing game. And I'm looking down on the corner and there's Tom Ray camp for channel four. Uh, there's probably, uh, uh, Jack, what's his name? Jack, uh, shooting for channel seven in the corner. And I can see the little spot in the empty stool where Alan Anderson's supposed to be. And, huh. and the, and the press box at the old forum, you basically, if, if you fell out of the press box, you'd land on the ice. Cause you were, you, you were, you were directly over, over the boards. And there was a catwalk. It was kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, once you got there, you didn't want to leave. So I'm looking and, it's, and there's like, there's like three minutes to go in the game. And here comes Alan Anderson, our, our cameraman. Go, <sighs> He's walking out of the press room with a camera slung over his shoulder. And now, you know, this is nothing, nothing game. It's going to be a one, nothing final. Right. And, so he settles down. He's, he's white balancing and everything. Matt Naslin scores for Montreal. One nothing was the final. We don't have one frame of we have we have a little frame of some celebration on the ice at the at the, at the end of the game. And he was saying that he he was going through. He was trying to get some extra money and he was moonlighting as a bartender. So he really needed a. He fell asleep in the press room for the whole game. <laughs> People were coming in after the first period, getting coffee and getting a hot dog. And, and he's. Unbelievable. The second period, third period. Now, all right, so let's go to 88. But he was well-rested for the next series. Though. Yes, he was, yeah. even though it, that the next series was in September because the, the Bruins were eliminated. So, 1980, when you leave Montreal, you go through customs in Montreal before you get to the United States, and they're done by the Canadians. So, every year for 45 years in the playoffs, they could be carrying a bazooka in their equipment bag. All right, guys, good to see you. Don't worry about it. Get on the plane. Come back soon so we can beat your asses again. Well, this particular night, when they beat the Canadians, Customs made every single equipment bag. Undo the zipper. Let's pull out the shin pads. Let's pull out the elbow pads. Let's pull out the uh, the skates. And Harry is going out of his mind. He's swearing up a storm. He's dropping F-bombs left and right. He's trying to call the U.S. Embassy... <laughs> he's trying to, he's they're opening the puck bag and the flight should have taken off at one it probably took off about three o'clock in the morning and and only because the bruins finally won a series in montreal <laughs> and harry was like out of his freaking mind and we're all laughing our asses off we're saying this is tremendous harry's going Yo, nah, 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 nah. i'm calling the u.s embassy <laughs> that'll be great call him up at three o'clock in the morning you probably get a lot of help that's unbelievable. That's great. You know what? That reminds me. We've talked about going out to Cooperstown, but we're going to have to get the Lobie Cruiser, yeah. really, from Cold Springs RV up in Ware, New Hampshire, and take it to a Bruins-Canadians game and just go not only feel the culture, but it is literally, once you get up into Quebec, you don't have to go far over the border where you just no. you feel like you're in Europe, right? So what better way than do it in a Cold Springs RV. We'll pack it up with some fans. We'll bring all the equipment with us. I mean, we've got all the comforts of home. You've got king size, queen size, double beds. You could even, if you want, you take one of the travel trailers or the fifth wheels. You could even take your family up there with one of the pop-ups that they have at Cold Springs RV. They have exceptional service, and they also, they've got a tremendous array of different types of RVs for you to choose from. I tell you, they're 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 really spectacular. There's there's absolutely nothing like them. Um, they get what? This is the time of year you want to get up there, right? I mean, it's still there's still some great deals to be had. I made my pick. 
I think you like the one with the leather, the leather seating, the leather coach. I'm getting a motor home. And uh, it could be a waterfront home. It can be a mountain retreat. Yeah. Even something you can take to another country and enjoy it. That's what's the beauty of it. Another country, but Canada, right? That's right. Perfect. Huh. Say hello to your friends in Vermont. Give them a little wave. See you on the way back. Maybe we could pick up Bill Lee on the way up. He'd love to come up. And we don't have to be vaccinated if we go. Well, we do have to be vaccinated. But do they? Do they? Do they no, check no, you? You can, okay, you can pretend you're the Red Sox and don't get vaccinated. Yeah, right. right. Well, that's it's, yeah, so. You're speaking part of the Red Sox pitching staff and not have to worry about getting vaccinated. That way, you don't have to travel to Canada. So, how about their travel plan? You just say you got to go to the website coldspringsrv.com. Cold Springs, it's in Ware, New Hampshire. Coldspringsrv.com online. Check them out, please. I'm in coldspringsrv.com. Where is it again, Hank? W E A R E, New Hampshire. Fair, New Hampshire. It's not far, not far at all. Well, so okay. did, you see, did you see what the um, uh, Red Sox travel plans are on the way home? So they're coming out of Toronto. Now, if you fly by plane and you test, positive you must remain in canada 14 days however if you are traveling by land you don't have to show any proof of of a a negative test so when they leave they're going to bus from toronto across the border at niagara falls drive to buffalo and in buffalo they get off the bus and they get on a plane to fly to baltimore for the series with the orioles to evade anyone being detained in Canada. You know, so what we got Tanner Houck, Chris Sale, Crawford. Crawford, the manager. Manager's out. Um, but not for lack of a test. I no. should know this, but I don't. I mean, lack of a vaccine. Are um, the Red Sox... Major League Baseball organizations precluded by the collective bargaining agreement from making it mandatory. Yep, yep. They strongly, strongly urged. I think is the is the language. Highly recommended, but they because can't can't force them. You think like, ah, oh, all right, it's April. Ah, a couple ball games here and there. You know, you've got all these months ahead of you. And how often does it come down to one or two games at the end of the season? They all each game counts as much as the next. I mean, yes, you've got a lot, you've got a lot of time to maybe improve your standing or what have you. But you know, when you're struggling with your pitching, your offense isn't doing that great, and you don't have a couple of guys along with you. I mean, along with your manager. Well, they've settled comfortably in the fourth place. That seems <laughs> to be the uh... yeah. I mean, I I would think some of these guys, you know, might fall to the pressure of some of their teammates, especially the the veteran teammates. Like, hey, we really, you know. You really dropped the ball on us the other day. We really could use you. You know, we got nobody to pitch. And, you know. You really think that's going to happen, Mike? No, I guess you're right. That might I'm happen. I, I, I think I'm here thinking of more high school and college. You probably I think can. you're thinking more high school and college. Yeah, I think you're right. But, you know, maybe a young guy like like Hauk, no? He wouldn't cave? Yeah, you would think, right? And, you know, what kind, is there family pressure from parents, from a wife, a girlfriend, fiance? Um, look, hey. You know, I want to have kids 
and I'm not sure, you know, what the ramifications are down the road. Will it be something, would it, could it affect our, what if we find out three years from now that it affects your offspring? So, I mean, those are a lot of things that are swirling around in a lot of guys' heads. I mean, Mike, you have some young grandchildren. I have a new grandson who's three and a half weeks old. It's something that went through my head. My daughter, my daughter was vaccinated, fully vaccinated. But, and you wonder, and they said, oh, there's no risk to, uh, to pregnant women. But do we yeah. really know long term, right? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I just know I, I didn't hesitate, and I'm going to get the, uh, the second booster shot too, um, which I probably should sign up for today. I'm going to make. I just put mine up in Beverly the other day. Go in and see Wally Champa, Anchor Home <laughs> Medical, the best guy right on Cabot Street. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of North Shore, um, um, Salem State Speaker Series uh, next week. David Ortiz up there, and uh, I'm going to be the um, MC. Good. Wow. For that. Nice. Congratulations. That's a great – what a school. The, uh, by the way, the NFL draft, we know yeah. we'll be talking about this because it's coming up this week. Yeah. You know, there's nothing but crickets around here about the NFL draft. You know, it's it's funny. Like last year, there were, wait, what, five good five solid quarterbacks that were up there and somebody we, – we, there was obviously a, a real need and a vacancy for the, for the Patriots. But when you get to a year like this year when they're – down the, at the bottom since they were a playoff team, I, I just loses the excitement. I think unless you really are a draft guru, do you really know or care about a cornerback from Clemson or a defensive lineman from LSU? I mean, you, you just don't know. No, you I mean, everybody know. has potential. So, would you trade for Baker Mayfield? Mayfield, if you were a Patriot, uh, would you want Baker Mayfield on your team as? Even a backup quarterback? No, he would not be. Uh, uh, he would not handle that position. Um, I think uh, quietly. I, I I think he would. I think he'd be a troublemaker as a backup quarterback. I think he has to be. He has to be the star of the show. And they have some good commercials done, though. Great commercials. Love, great commercials. Yeah, with progressive. I mean, he'd have to do them at Gillette Stadium. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just, you know, um, the laundry, the trash goes out on Tuesday. <laughs> the passcode is six. Um, he did manage to put Cleveland back into the conversation, though. He did. Making he the did. playoffs, making them a, a team that's viable. He did he get him into the playoffs. Uh, he's an exciting guy, but he just makes he just makes mistakes that just – causes the team to self-implode. So I would say no, Bob. I'm not going to take him as a backup. If I was a team looking for a starting quarterback, um, I, I might, you know, I might pick him up. I think Pittsburgh he was hurt really at the end, right? What's that again? Pittsburgh really would love to have Pittsburgh would be great. They got Mitchell Trubisky. You know, the guy who used to start for the Bears and who played backup in Buffalo last year. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh would Pittsburgh might not be a bad place for him, but uh, it'd just be interesting. I don't know. It just seems to me. I mean, this obviously it's been stagnant here after off-season spending from last year. It's been, as we know, stagnant, and there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation about it. No. Let me ask you this. If you're the Patriots or a Patriots fan, do they need an offensive lineman? Who knows? Do they Hank? need 
Who a the wide hell receiver? knows? Do they need a cornerback? I think they're Actually, okay. You're a football guy. I think they're okay with the wide receiver. The guy Devonte Parker they got from um, uh, from Miami is is really kind of a, an explosive guy, and I'm still kind of confused why the Dolphins traded to a team within the division. I guess they think that this guy has trouble staying on the field. He's had some injuries, um, but I think they're okay at that position. Um, you know, cornerback is always a position where I think they they could use something, and of course that pass rusher somewhere that that can't be stopped. I mean, many teams have some unstoppable pass rushers. They don't have one. Yeah, what's going on with the Patriot Hall of Fame, by the way? I remember we picked last week. With, well, we all picked somebody else. I picked Rabel. Hank picked Wilfork. And you picked whoever was left. I picked uh, Wilfork. Oh, what did you pick, Hank? I picked, uh, no, I picked um, Logan Mankins. Oh, okay. You know, one of the more bothersome things of uh, my life has been a friend of mine had uh, a jersey, an authentic jersey that Vince Wilfork wore when he was a rookie. And he said, hey, try this bad boy on. I'm thinking, Phew, even at my size, that's going to float on me. Damn thing was too tight. <laughs> um, voting through with Putin, right? He gave him his ring. Try this bad boy on. Uh, here's the deal. You will find out on May 17th who's in the Hall of Fame. And fans can vote through May 16th. Well, we know who it won't be. <laughs> it won't be the tuna. It won't be the tuna. Yeah. Will the tuna ever get in? Will he ever? No, he'll never get in. No. They change the rules. I'm telling you, they should change the rule. They should allow by position. It's not different. You know, in that, in that game... Position determines everything. I mean, you can't be a running back or a skill player and, and 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 compete against an offensive lineman. How do you know what's a good football player? There's one way he can get in. There's um, the senior committee. I think every four years, votes somebody in, and John Morris was one of them. Um, Leon Gray get in. Houston Antoine get in. So I don't know. Maybe. On that committee, maybe uh, you know the the group meets Ron Hobson and those guys, and maybe they they put him in. But I, I don't know how how it would be accepted by Robert and Jonathan. I mean, I I don't I don't think they want him associated with the legacy of of, of this of this club. Yeah, well, you know what? He did so much to change the uh, atmosphere. Although he was Orthwine's pick, Orthwine hired him. He did so much to change the attitude and and atmosphere around there and made it a football savvy franchise yeah the patriots had never had swagger until he came to town right i mean that gave them swagger you know what i'm doing the people can't see me but i'm pulling i'm pulling the 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 uh, the string back from my bow and i'm gonna let let the arrows fly you remember that great line by yeah, I, you know, it's supposed to be that he each could shoot an arrow into the stadium and wouldn't hit anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you could have archery practice in the stands and you wouldn't hit anybody. He says, before I came here. And he's right. He's Maybe right. Ernie Bach Jr. could, across the street from Gillette, buy a piece of land and just put up a tribute like a Bill Parcells museum right across from Gillette Stadium. He did? No, I'm saying it might be a good oh. idea. I know Ernie and the Crafts, uh, you know, they're not really going to a lot of parties together. 
You know, I went into Parcell's office a couple of times when we were, were doing the show there, and uh, he had his big draft board there. But on the floor, he had at least a half a dozen porcelain elephants with their trunks turned up. And I said, what the hell is this? He says, well, that, that's good luck if the trunk is, is, is up in the air. And he says he's an unbelievably superstitious guy. If he backs out of his driveway and he sees like a black cat somewhere within his vision, he has to, re- he has to uh, uh, negate the feeling. So he has to go back into the driveway and then back out again. And um, so, yeah, I thought like he uses one of them. One of them he used as a doorstop, this, uh, this porcelain elephant with the, with the trunk up in the air for, uh, hmm. for good luck. Pretty funny. Yes, it is. Favorite TV show was The Honeymooners with uh, Jackie Gleason. That makes sense. And, and, and Art Carney. Jackie but, Gleason, who used to dine in Medford at Carol's, yeah, yeah, the original with, Carol's on Main Fra- Street. With Frankie Fontaine. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, so voting goes on for another three weeks or so. And, uh, but Parcells is not on the ballot. So he can't get, he, he, he 100% cannot get into. Patriots I'm sure thing. he's just moping around the house in Florida wondering how he could ever get himself in. He's in uh, the Pro Football Hall up, of Fame, but not the Patriots Hall of Fame. Before we wrap up, can we just talk a little bit of golf? What Number do you one, um, the match. Yeah. Brady and Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes and uh, Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. Capital One's the match June 1st at the Win Las Vegas. 12 holes. 12 holes. You got to be putting your money on Rodgers and Brady. Josh Allen's pretty good. He played at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. I, I like to swing a lot. Uh, Brady and and Mahomes is a pretty good golfer, too. Uh, I'm going to go with the young guys. I'm going to go with Mahomes and Josh Allen on that one. Really? I mean, yeah. you know what? I'm, I want to watch it, though. Yeah. Just to see them try and excel at another different sport, right? We yeah, know but it's more about the comments and banter yeah. off camera than it is about the golf. Yeah. Yeah. True. I'm looking forward to Charles Barkley commentating. Well, they put, yeah, they, the, they did a lot. Rogers was in it last year and he disappointed in term, in, in that department, Bob, I thought, you know, he just wasn't really. Mickelson you know, was really good. Who was good? Mickelson. Yeah. Mickelson was awesome. He was awesome. Uh, DeChambeau wasn't bad either. And, uh, but he didn't get much out of, out of, out of Aaron Rodgers. No, but Peyton Manning, the one that really delivers, it's yeah. Peyton Manning. Yeah, he does. He does. I mean, there's a great commercials. Everybody's Peyton Manning in the commercial when he and he yells <laughs> Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. The whole <laughs> office jumps up. He's really, he's really an amazing athlete slash personality. He's funny. He is pretty funny. That Monday Night Football thing with the the Manning cast is is pretty funny. I've uh, I've watched it a few times. And he clearly carries it. He does, because yeah. Eli, Eli's, Eli's, he's a nice kid. Personality, just yeah. a nice man. He tries hard, but uh, he's and you know the funniest one in the whole family is the brother Cooper, who's uh, Fox has used him a couple of times to do little features on their pregame show. Speaking of Mickelson, where are you on Phil Mickelson with, you know, uh, Greg Norman's tournament over in Saudi Arabia? You know, trying to leverage power. You know, against the PGA, I, I don't. I, don't I, mean, I, I mean, I want him back. I, I do too. Yeah, they won that PGA last year. That was a great moment. Walking up eighteen, and the crowd just stormed on. It was like it was right out oh, of yeah, Arnold right, Palmer. Right. 
you know, and Brooks kept you know, get mad because you know, hey, didn't anybody know I got a bum knee? <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Take a look at Arnold Palmer coming up uh, 18 on the St. Andrews and, and 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 tell me what you think. So, uh, and congratulations yeah, to uh, both of you. Had a former intern, uh, Jason Hare, who just did a spectacular 30 for 30 about Greg Norman and uh, the shark. You know, of course, he's from Newton. The first person yeah. he ever interviewed at 11 was Bob Lobel. He was Mike's intern at Channel 5. Yep. He went to Williams College, correct? Yep, played baseball at Williams. Yep. Did the uh, Michael Jordan uh, last dance. Uh, and We had him on one of our shows. We, we maybe try to get him on this show, do you think, on Anchored Boston? I just corresponded with him the other day. I need to text with him tomorrow morning. He's coming back to Boston to work on a project. He's playing some golf Friday with his dad, and hopefully we're going to connect. Really just a, a fine gentleman. What a guy. And Tremendous talent, too. Good. Good. That would be fun. Anytime. Anytime. I mean, I know, I remember texting him back and forth after we talked to him when he, he did the dance, Michael Jordan. And he said, here, I spent all this time with Michael Jordan. And I was the guy that interviewed him and, and directed the whole thing, the 10-part series. And the thing that his parents were most, most excited about was the fact that he was going to be on a podcast with Mike Lynch and Bob Lobel, you know, the Mount Rushmore of Boston sports. Yeah. He did a really good job with that last dance. And then the knockoff one with the Lakers was really kind of, I don't know if you've seen it at all. No. Well, then you know, it's on H it's an HBO thing. Okay. It's so. Is it is it the magic time one? No, it's not the magic one. It's this is a separate one, but this is also one that uh, Jerry West wants an apology for because the way he oh was, no winning time. He's not on that one, is he? It's winning the Laker dynasty. Winning, yeah, winning time. time. Yeah, there's a separate one that's magic yeah. alone, but this is winning time the Laker dynasty. But and, J and Jason's not part of no, that. No, he didn't do that. No. no, no, Jason's not part of that. But it's kind of a follow-up toward the last dance yeah as they picked up you know picked an nba franchise that had you know obviously winning uh tra track record but it was jerry west that wants the apology because of the way he was portrayed and and i agree with him it was it was an ugly portrayal and it just didn't seem like jerry west but strange it was it's kind of strange all right, so hopefully we'll put that together soon. We want to thank you for watching Unanchored Boston, the podcast. Go to unanchoredboston.com. Please follow us along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Unanchored Boston Podcast. And if you'd like to reach out, you'd like the show to come to your business or what have you, just reach out to us on unanchoredboston.com. You can also use your smart listening device. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Siri. Hey, Google. Play the Unanchored Boston Podcast. Right? It's that easy. And you're going to enjoy it. There's going to be a lot of interaction. You want to send some emails. You, you, you ever want to be on the show? We might want to start doing like a guest listener, a guest viewer, come on the show and ask some questions. People we might. Like it. They're really? asking for it. They're asking for it. Who's asking for it? They want a People want a chance. Don Bravo wants a chance to sit down and chat with Bob Lobel and Mike Lynch and ask them all kinds of questions. I mean, you guys get this all the time, no matter where you go. So I don't. Okay. Anyway, hey, thanks, and thank you to Our Best Foods and Our Best Burgers and Cold Springs RV and Ware, New Hampshire, coldspringsrv.com. Sorry.
Oh, that's the lunchtime bell. All yeah, right, boys. Sorry, sorry. Lunchtime. Thanks a lot, you guys. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com. Thank you.